So if you have a Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the passage will be on the screen in just a second. Uh, the, the title of the sermon this morning as we continue our series in Ecclesiastes is, Is Our House Infested with Folly? So I've been studying infestation this week, which is a really delightful topic. Uh, and, I, and I had to find an example that wouldn't just totally gross you out. And I'm very thankful that I found one. It's about bees. It's about honeybees. So they're even the nice kinds of bees. But there's, I think, a picture that we're going to put up here that, that shows uh, the story that I'm going to read for you. So this is from a newspaper in Memphis, Tennessee, from October of 2018. So it's relatively recent, and you'll understand as we go. A bee removal expert in Tennessee is making quite the buzz. I'm sorry, I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. Uh, after extracting an estimated 35,000 honeybees from behind a brick wall. David Clover, the self-described Bartlett Bee Whisperer, which makes me a little nervous, but we'll just keep going, was recently called to a Germantown home to remove the bees. Glover told Fox News on Friday the homeowner, whom he did not identify, is allergic to bee stings and had previously hired a local pest control company to remove the creatures, but to no avail. Eventually, Glover was recommended as a way to safely get rid of the honeybees. When he arrived last Friday, Glover took a thermal scan to get an idea of where the bees were located. How do you have a hard time finding 35,000 bees? I'm not sure. But he had no idea how physically large the hive was until he cracked the wall open. He discovered the bees were entering the hive through a small uh, peep hole and a narrow gap between the bricks on the corner of the window. So he began to remove the bricks one by one, slowly revealing the massive hive. More than four hours later, Glover safely removed the honeycomb, which he said on Facebook wasn't overly attached to the bricks, thus making the removal process smoother than expected. Glover said it was one of the largest single pieces of comb he had ever seen, measuring roughly three feet wide and five feet tall. How, how do you not know those bees are there? <laughs> how, how do you miss something so, so obvious, especially, and I, I'm not laughing because, you know, it's funny, but if you're allergic to bee stings and you hear a buzzing, wouldn't you be a little, you know, a little more determined to get that taken care of? But sometimes the, infest, the problem with the infestation is it goes unnoticed until it gets to the point where real damage has been caused. Sometimes you have to actually look behind the wall to find the infestation. Uh, I was in a meeting yesterday with some folks in our community planning a, a funeral service of one of, our, one of our folks who had passed away, and the woman who doesn't go to Green Tree say, oh, I, I, I walk by your church all the time. It's such a pretty building. Uh, and if you have my vantage point on a Sunday morning of looking out, y'all look wonderful. Y'all look, quite frankly, you look really good. Uh, and yet I know that if we look behind the wall, there are going to be things that we observe and see that if we're honest, actually aren't in as great a shape as we would like to imagine. The author of Hebrews, the, the self-described preacher in Jerusalem, is going to uh, challenge us with that question this morning to look a little bit deeper, to maybe kind of do a little digging and ask ourselves the question, is our worship infested with some amount of foolishness. Ephesians, excuse me, Ecclesiastes, I don't know why I said Ephesians, Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. 
To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. But what you, excuse me, pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. We're going to pray uh, that the Lord would teach us this morning. Uh, But before I lead us in prayer, I'm going to give you a moment for silent prayer to ask God specifically to, to meet you here this morning and to teach you what he wants you to know. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would teach your people gathered in this room. Lord, none of us uh, look at ourselves and and see foolish worshipers looking back at them in the mirror. But perhaps uh, we ought not have that assumption. Father, this is a a word of of challenge. It's a word of caution, uh, but it's also a word of hope. And so, Lord, we pray for uh, the honesty to hear your word. Uh, Not my words, not my thoughts, Lord, those just are not important. Uh, But to sit and listen to your eternal word, because that is the word of life. And so, Lord, we pray that you would guard us against uh, a defensive spirit uh, that would want to deflect some of these challenges. Uh, We pray that you would protect us from uh, a wandering mind, uh, that because we are busy, Lord, we have lots of things going on. We probably, a lot of us rushed in here this morning, uh, just... Uh, somewhat frantic. So Lord, I pray that you would give us teachable spirits, uh, that you would allow us to focus on your word. Father, I pray that you would forgive my sin that could potentially be a hindrance to what you want to teach us this morning. Lord Jesus, open our hearts and our minds to your word. We pray in your name. Amen. So given our sinful nature, God's people must approach worship with caution and wisdom. Now, I think we need to be very clear from the outset. We're not talking about uh, just kind of putting on a somber face when you come to church and, and looking dour and, and we can't have any fun because we're, we're in church. That's not uh, what the author is addressing and it's certainly not what the Bible teaches. As you read the Psalms, as you read other places, you read in Revelation, as we look forward to the worship of God in heaven, it's pretty raucous and it's pretty joyful. Uh, 
uh, and, and it, it's pretty loud, and it gets after it pretty seriously. So we're not talking about a style of worship. We're not talking about a particular way we, we sing songs or don't sing songs, that sort of thing. We're talking about our hearts before God as we come to worship him. And so we want to look at this in really fundamentally two ways, because that's, I think, how the passage is laid out. We want to look at a fool's approach to worship, and then we want to look at a wise approach to worship. The fool's approach to worship, the word I'm going to use is brash. The notion of brash is that someone is self-assertive in a rude, noisy, or overbearing manner. So you may know someone who's brash. Uh, It might be that at time to time you are brash, perhaps. When I was thinking of brash, my my generation, I went to uh, people like Ric Flair and, and Hulk Hogan, how many people go to blues hockey games? In the third period for whatever, they've started this Ric Flair. I can't do it with my voice. The woo, really? I, yeah, thank you. Not really. I, I sit there in the third period. I'm like, if they keep doing this, I just, I really just want to just, you know, not be nice. Um, but, but those guys are paid to be brash. I mean, you're a, you're a WWF wrestler. You're Hulk Hogan. Your job is to be brash. And what, what we're going to see this morning, I think, is that as we approach worship, if we're not careful, we can kind of take on that brash, that harsh, uh, that me first kind of attitude that doesn't put God at the center, but puts ourselves at the center. And I, th- I think there are three cautions here uh, for the notion of foolish worship. So as we look behind the wall of our hearts, so to speak, behind the walls of, of Green Tree Community Church, uh, we ought to ask ourselves, do I see these things in my own life. The first is this, a fool's approach to worship is careless. Guard your steps, Solomon says, when you go to the house of God. To draw near is better than to offer a sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. How thoughtful am I when I approach worship? Do I actually prepare my heart? Am I actually thinking about worship prior to getting here. Notice that Solomon doesn't say if you go to church. He says when you go to the house of God. So he's talking to folks whose normal practice is is to be in worship on some amount of regularity. In other words, he's talking to those of us that are gathered here this morning, and he's saying be careful not to be careless, not not to be thoughtless, as you approach worship. So when I think about this, I, I ask the question, how do, do I approach? And now it's not really fair for me because I cheat a little because I'm actually, uh, I'm on staff, so I need a beer. But do I get ready for Sunday morning? Now, I don't mean get the sermon ready. But do I prepare my heart for the worship of God before I step into this place on Sunday morning? Or do I kind of like, like you guys, because I've had a really busy week, yeah, the sermon's ready, it's good, but I kind of just rush in here and kind of go through the motions of worship and get to the sermon and, and, and get it done, because that's what I'm supposed to do. Or am I actually thoughtful? Do I actually maybe say on Saturday night, you know, Tom, that's enough with the phone, that's enough with the movie, that's enough with whatever the distractions are, how about we just spend a little time in, in thoughtful prayer? before we go to bed. Maybe, maybe pray, pray for the folks who are coming over. Hey, here's an idea. Maybe pray for yourself because you're not perfect. That God would prepare your heart. Are you actually thinking, Tom, about what it means to enter into worship with the rest of God's people? Solomon says the fool is careless. They have very little thought 
when it comes to worship. Secondly, and I have three observations about the fool's worship and three about a wise way, so it comes out pretty even there. The fool's way to approach worship is, is with a loudness. It's too loud. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. What the, the, the author here is saying is sometimes there's too much talk and there's too little listening. Now think about that when you're in a conversation with someone where you're not really listening to them to hear what they have to say, but you're actually listening to them to prepare your response. Most often this happens in a, in a marriage setting or perhaps uh, with a business partner. Uh, it's someone that typically with whom you're having a disagreement and obviously, clearly beyond the shadow of a doubt, they're wrong and you're there to fix them. You're there to straighten them out. And so I'm not really listening to what Cindy is saying to me about how she's feeling or perhaps the hurt I've caused her. I'm preparing my response in order to help her understand where she's erred where she's gone down the wrong pathway. I'm being too loud. Way too much talk going on and not nearly enough listening. James says this in his letter. Know this, my beloved brother. So he's writing to people he really loves. He's saying something to, to people for whom he cares a great deal. Every person, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. James is agreeing with Solomon, and he's saying they're, they're more often than not, I ought to be in a listening mode. How am I going to listen to God if I'm always talking? How am I going to listen to the voice of the Spirit of God? How am I going to read the Word of God with an open mind and an open heart, asking God to speak to me if I'm too busy preparing my response? What are you talking to yourself about right now? What's on your mind right now? I, I mean, you're, you're being very polite with your posture. I'll tell you that. You're looking like you're paying attention. Uh, you're looking like you're, you're not, you know, hanging on every word, but you're, you're kind of interested in what's going on. But perhaps you're thinking about what you got to do on Tuesday, uh, an important meeting that you have to have. Uh, I had a, a really good friend way back in the days when we were at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church back in the 80s, and he said, I would sit on the third row, and I, I would just make note after note after note, and I would just totally engage with the pastor. But I was, I was either making the grocery list, or I was going through the things I had to do for my next business meeting. But boy, I really gave him great eye contact. Now, I'm not, don't hear me picking on you. I, I'm not doing that, but I think it's a fair question. What am I thinking about as I, as I share a sermon? Am I thinking about the worship of God? Am I, am I coming with a, an ear to listen? Or, or am I spending time engaging in too much banter and I drowned out the voice of what God wants to say? The fool comes to worship in a careless manner, in a loud manner, and thirdly, in a hasty manner. Look at verses 4 and 5. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. The notion here is that there's too little commitment in my heart behind the promises that I make. That, that the words that I speak don't necessarily carry the weight of conviction to follow through. I, I might offer a thought because I think it's what the person wants to hear. 
and I'm not really intending to follow through on it, but it's like, you know, if I say that, they'll think I'm a nice guy. So I think I'll say that now. I think I'll, I'll, I'll try to look at it. I actually had to write a, a note of apology this morning to one of, our, uh, to one of the church planners I work with over in Kansas City because he said uh, that he was looking for a pastor that could preach for him this Sunday. And two weeks ago, I said, I'm going to see if I can't find somebody and, and have somebody come over to Kansas City so you can actually come to St. Louis and visit some friends. And he had to leave and go back home because I didn't do that. He had to leave a day early, and he had to go back, and he had to preach this morning because he had to fulfill that commitment because I forgot to do what I said I would do. My word just didn't mean that much. That's a really bad place to be. But think about that with God. It's one thing to to do that to another human being. That's awful enough. But think about saying to God, I'm going to do whatever it is. Or, or I'm going to give whatever it is. You fill in the blank any way you want to. I'm not here to do that for you. I've, I've got to look at my own blanks to fill in. And I, and I say it, and, 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 I, and I don't mean it. <laughs> but I say it because I, I think maybe it's the right thing to do. I'm going to let you in on, on a little tiny secret. Uh, and this is true of every church uh, in probably in the world, certainly in America. Uh, any church that, that does what we do in the fall where you have pledge cards. So I take a pledge card and I say, this year I'm going to give X amount of dollars to Green Tree Community Church. And I put my name on that and then I check the box I'm going to give every week or every month or at the end of the year, whatever it is. And then I, then I turn that in. And then the, the business office takes that and they compile all of that and they come up with a total number that ends up being the, the budget that we have for that particular year. Except for this, we discount those pledges by a minimum of 10%. What does that mean? We know right off the bat that everybody's not going to do what they say they're going to do. Now, again, I'm not wagging my finger at you. I'm thumping my own self in the chest. I've had years where I haven't fulfilled my pledge to Green Tree Community Church. The notion of just kind of knee-jerk reaction, do this for whatever reason, to look good, to, 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 to get rid of the guilt feelings I have, Solomon would say that's, that's, that's just foolish. Slow yourself down a little bit. Take time to be thoughtful and prayerful and understand that, that if, if I come into worship and just not really paying attention, careless, loud, hasty, I'm probably not engaging in genuine worship of God. And it probably isn't giving my soul the nurture that God intends his worship to bring, which leads us to the wise approach to worship, which is the other half of our observations this morning. The word I'm going to use for this is the word circumspect. And, and, and defined, it means cautious, wary, uh, on one's guard. Now, I want to be clear here. What I'm not saying in using this word is that you got to be on your guard as if God were out to get you. That is not what we're saying. When I say on my guard, it means I'm paying attention to where I'm walking, to where I'm going, so that I get from point A to point B. When our children were little, it was not safe to walk through any room in our house in the dark without the lights on. Because there's a very good chance, at least 50-50, if not more, that there's some toys scattered around. And you're traveling at your own risk if you're going to get a glass of water in the kitchen and, and, and you're going through the hallway and through the living room if you don't turn a light on because you're probably going to trip over a train or a ball glove or some dolls or a hockey stick or something. So the prudent person says, I'm going to turn the light on. I'm going to watch where I'm going because I'm going to be cautious. That's the notion here, that I'm actually going to pay attention to the pathway on which I am walking. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5. I think it's, he's agreeing with Solomon. This is a great statement. Look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, how do we, how do we take that and apply it 
to God's worship here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. The first is this, uh, and, and we've kind of spoken about it in, in the overview. There needs to be a healthy caution as we approach the worship of God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps. What does that mean? It means pay attention. It means be thoughtful. Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah 55, the prophet reminds us why we ought to be thoughtful as we approach worship. God is speaking here, and the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You're coming to engage with the God of the universe who is infinitely and eternally wiser than you, who knows infinitely more than I. And so I approach with a healthy caution. The psalmist says it this, and so, says it this way in Psalm 89. For, though, for who in the skies can be compared to the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? The answer is no one can, can be compared to God. And so it is wise to come with a healthy caution, acknowledging uh, who God is, his true character, his true being. I'm going to give you two other examples, and I'm not going to put these on the screen, but the prophet Isaiah, who we just read from a second ago, has a vision of God. In chapter 6, you can read this in the first uh, seven or eight verses of, of Isaiah chapter 6. He says, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on his throne. The train of his robe filled the temple, and he was surrounded by seraphim, and they, they, they flew, and they, and they shouted, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And as they sang, the threshold of the temple shook because the voice of the choir was so loud and so awesome was the praise of God. And then he turns to inward reflection and he responds. He's looking at all this and then he tells you exactly how he feels. And he said, I cried in a loud voice, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king of glory. Now, when's the last time you said woe is me? <laughs> That's not a phrase we use. If you, if you hear that phrase, you're probably in a Shakespeare play. Uh, it, you know, the last time you said woe, you might have been on a horse. It's not a, a phrase we use. But woe to me, or woe is me, uh, here's the exact translation. I wish I was dead. Isaiah was so overwhelmed with the glory of God that he wanted to crawl in a hole and, and die because God was that much greater the second example I'm going to give you is out of Revelation chapter 1 when, when the apostle John meets the risen Jesus. Now remember John had hung out with Jesus for three and a half years. They were close friends. The gospels say that Jesus loved John. John was one of the guys that, that kind of stuck close when everybody else ran away. John was at the cross when Jesus was being crucified. John ran to the garden on Sunday morning to, to, to find the, the tomb empty. And, and John saw Jesus ascend into heaven. So John's very familiar with Jesus. In Revelation chapter 1, John describes the risen Jesus. And he said, I looked and behold before me. And he goes through this litany that's just an incredible, uh, a, a, an incredible description of the risen Christ. And then he says this, he, 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 he reflects on his response. And he said, I fell at his feet as though dead. I was overwhelmed with God. I was overwhelmed with this Jesus who I, who I walked with, who I ate with, who I, who I watched perform miracles. The, the one that I knew so well, I, I saw him in his glory and I, and I just, I wanted to die. And I'm not going to exercise a healthy caution when I come into the presence of God for his worship. 
I mean, that just makes no sense whatsoever. Wisdom says, exercise a healthy caution as we come into God's presence to worship him. Secondly, a wise approach to worship includes a longing to listen and to learn. So we guard our steps when we go into the house of God. Draw near to listen is better than offer the sacrifice of fools. What's the sacrifice of fools? A lot of, a, a lot of blabbing, a lot of, a lot of chatting, a lot of focus on me and telling you all about me and not a lot of, of looking and reflecting and gazing on the glory of God. They don't even know that what they're doing is evil. Don't be rash with your mouth nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Do I approach the worship of God? As a, as a student coming to learn from the greatest mind I've ever encountered, not just like a really good teacher, but like the greatest mind I've ever encountered. Do I, do I come kind of, kind of opening my proverbial notebook when, and now it's your laptop and you're going to type instead of, but in my day, you took, you know, you took notes. Am I coming? I'm sitting and say, okay, Lord, tell me what you want to know because you're so much greater than me. And anything you say, you, you could read the menu to, to making a good omelet and it would be infinitely wiser than anything I could ever come up with. I'm going to write down whatever you tell me. Do I come with that approach? That's the problem for those of us who are here at the very beginning of the service, the call to worship. That's the problem with the Pharisee. He's running his mouth, and he's not thinking about the one to whom he's speaking. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, he's supposed to know better. He's a religious leader. The other one, a tax collector. The guy that, that is a sinner, and he's an awful guy. Nobody in, in society wants to be around him. He's like a, I don't know, like a, a, a Chicago Blackhawks fan. And the, that wasn't very nice, was it? But some of y'all laughed. So uh, The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Do you hear much listening there? Do you hear a longing to encounter with the holy God of the universe and, and to apply his grace and his mercy and his wisdom to his life? Or do you hear one who is self-absorbed and is thinking that God should be thankful to have him on his team, right? But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The wise approach to worship is not only a healthy caution, but it's a desire, it's a longing to hear the word of God, to learn that word, to have it applied to our lives. And thirdly, a wise approach to worship includes a thoughtful commitment without excuse. Verses four through six. Uh, remember verse one says, when you come to the house of God, same language in verse four, when you vow a vow to God, not if, but when. In other words, we ought to make our promise to God. I'm not talking about money. I'm saying we ought to think intentionally about what it means to follow Jesus. And when I think about that, I'm like, okay, you've given me some gifts to use and, and, and you've given me some abilities. I'm going to use those this way. Lord, I intend to, to do this. Don't say that quickly and don't say that lightheartedly. Say it when you really mean it and you want to follow through with it. When you, make a, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. He has no pleasure in fools. Who's a fool? The fool is the person that says one thing and then doesn't follow through with it. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should vow than uh, that you should not, excuse me, it's better that you not vow than that you should vow and not pay. 
Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Well, how can, it, how can I sin with my mouth in this situation? By saying to the messenger that it was a mistake. In other words, in Solomon's day, if you made a vow at the temple, whatever it was, and you didn't, you didn't provide it, you didn't produce it, there would be a knock on your door. It would be a messenger from the temple and saying, you know, we've got, your, we've got your pledge card here, and it's still lacking. We want to make sure you know to take care of that. So nobody from Green Tree is going to come knock on your door this afternoon about your pledge or, or any other time. But, but understand what's going on here. The notion is that uh, the, the messenger is simply there to follow up on what you said. The messenger isn't there trying to get you to do something you don't want to do. You've already said you're going to do it. And they're just reminding you that you said. And then your response is, my response, that was all a big mistake. I, I put the decimal point in the wrong place. I am, I am so terribly sorry. Let's just slide that over. Right? Nonsensical. No thought whatsoever. If we're going to worship... We're going to be wise in our worship. There ought to be a response in our worship. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, there ought to be some way that I'm serving in his church. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, I should be a generous and be giving joyfully of all that God's given me, including my finances. There's no question about that. But I ought to be thoughtful about those things. I ought to not enter into them lightly. If I enter into them lightly, I'll exit out of them lightly, and and I won't think a thing of it. And in doing so, I, I will sin. I will harm my relationship with my God. I watched a video this week that absolutely floored me. It was a young man named Matthew uh, Cordall. And Matthew Cordall recorded this video back in uh, 2013. And Matthew Cordall had been out drinking one night. And he ran into a man named Vincent Gonzini. And he killed Vincent Gonzini with his car. And as he's making this video, he's getting ready to go to court. He hasn't yet gone to court. Uh, and he's going for the for the hearing that day. I'm not sure the technical term. I, I didn't go to law school, but, he, but he's going to stand before the judge, and this is the time where you're going to say guilty or not guilty. And he says, "I'm make." He's writing something down as he's talking, and he says, "My name is Matthew Coverdale. And on June 13th, 2013, I w- was drinking and I killed Vincent Gonzini with my car. And I'm writing on this card that I am going to plead guilty, and I'm going to accept whatever the judge gives me, no matter what the no matter what the sentence is." And he turns it up and he holds it right. He says, "This is proof." Uh, that I'm acknowledging that what I did, and I'm going to take responsibility for my actions. He says, if I could say one thing to you is, please don't drink and drive. Now, if my jaw wouldn't attach to my head, it would have hit the floor. We live in a world where we all make excuses for everything we do. I never sin. You just misunderstand what I'm doing. <laughs> you just think it's sin. We, we all have that temptation in our lives. I have that temptation in my life to excuse my lack of worship of God, to, to suggest that maybe it was misunderstood. And the opportunity we have this morning, according to the author of Ecclesiastes, is to engage thoughtfully and prayerfully when it comes to how we approach worship. So let's sum up this morning. Our first, I have two ways to sum this up. First in verse three, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. The notion there is when you work really hard and you're, you're, you're hard at work, you're going to dream a lot because you're going to sleep soundly at night. But, but the opposite is also true. When you, when you don't work, you just blab a lot. You just, you're just talking. You're just not helping anybody. You're not doing anything really worthwhile. So, I, so the statement is, when is worship not really worship? It's not really worship when we're not careful to understand that it's about God. It's not all about us. It's not worship when we, when we don't come as a student needing to listen 
and to learn as much as we come with an attitude that I'm a peer of God who deserves to be engaged and deserves to be heard. We're not worshiping when our focus is on what we want God to do for us while ignoring our lack of commitment to him. Solomon says that is a fool's errand. But Solomon also offers of hope this morning a second thought as we sum up, and it's in verse 7. Verse 7 says this, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. In other words, when I, when I make it all about me, and, I, and I'm talking all about me, I, it's just it becomes vanity. It becomes vain, and it also becomes useless. But God is the one you must fear. The author of Ecclesiastes is turning a corner in, in chapter 5. He spent the first five chapters talking about how meaningless life is without God. And now he's going to begin to inch us ever so slowly, because it actually doesn't happen, ultimately until the last two verses. So you're not gonna, we're not going to get to the conclusion of the matter literally until the last Sunday of this sermon series. Every other Sunday it's on the journey, but he's going to turn us towards what it means to live with a relationship with God, what it means to know him and to follow him, to realize through prayer, through reflection that God is glorious that God is the one who is deserving of my awe, my wonder, my praise. It's when I look at God that that humility comes and, and quiets my heart. It closes my mouth. It allows me to reject vanity and to embrace the worship of God alone. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Will you pray with me? Father, it is so easy for my heart to be infested with folly. It may look good on the outside, but on the inside, you are not at the center of my thoughts. Uh, I, I may be bowing my, my physical head, but I'm not bowing my heart in worship to you and submission to you. Uh, I come talking a lot and telling you things that I'll do without really stopping to think. So, Lord, I, I pray for myself, I pray for all of us, uh, as we are tempted to be uh, nonchalant or, or irresponsible in our approach to worship, that we would hear your word this morning, we would hear the word that you gave us through, through the preacher in Jerusalem, to guard our steps, because as we fear you, as we, as we do worship you, you nourish, nourish our souls, you, you nurture that relationship, you grow us in our faith. We pray for that growth. We pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.